Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to Newberry Tart. We are here today talking with Erin Entrada Kelly, who is, of course, the most recent Newberry Medal winner for Hello Universe. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. Hi, Erin. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much again for talking to us today. We're really excited to talk to you. So we've been asking authors, Newberry authors, about their Newberry experience. And obviously, we've caught you kind of in the middle of your Newberry experience. Um, So can you tell us about getting the phone call? I can. So um, I kind of had an inkling. I mean, you never know for sure. But, you know, there was rumblings that, uh, you know, maybe there was a chance. But, of course, you're thinking never is this going to happen. So... I, had, I know they call very early in the morning, so I had my phone next to me just in case. And, you know, I got up, and it was like 8 o'clock, and I thought, well, you know, I guess it didn't happen. Um, and I wasn't that disappointed only because it seemed so far-fetched anyway. Uh, so, you know, I at the time I worked as a, a copy editor for a Medicaid-managed care company, so I got dressed, and I was driving to work. And I was sitting there thinking about, you know, the, the awards, and I was wondering who won. And I was thinking, oh, I hope uh, See You in the Cosmos won, because that was my favorite middle grade of the mm. year. Um, and as I was thinking that, the phone rang. And it was actually my editor. No, she emailed me. My editor emailed me, and, and it said, where are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm in my car going to work. I'm in my car going to work. And she says, I need your cell phone number, ASAP. And I'm thinking, okay, um, that's not common. So I thought, well, maybe I want something. And so she said, someone's going to call you, pick up. So, of course, I'm sitting there, like, on I-95. And it's the longest. I don't know how long it took between her telling me someone was going to call me and me getting the phone call. But it felt like you know, 20 years, <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I'm just waiting for the phone to ring, and the phone rings, and I pick it up, and I hear a woman saying a bunch of words, and then all these people cheering, <laughs> and I think I heard what she said, but I'm so disbelieving that, you know, I had to say, wait, what happened? You're going to like, repeat that? Um and when she told me, you know, she repeated it, and she said that it won the medal, I, I went into a state of shock, and <laughs> I think I just, kept, I just kept repeating, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I'm saying I have to turn around, you know? I'm, like, in the middle of, like, morning uh, rush hour traffic to Philadelphia. And, you know, I got off the exit and immediately turned around, and... This was right before the press conference was about to start, you know, like 10 minutes or something. Um, And so I pulled over in a parking lot, and I got my phone out, and I'm watching the live stream on my phone. And, of course, it keeps, you know, um, hanging up because, it's, you know, my phone is is a piece of crap, to be honest with you. And (laughs) so it's, like, stopping, like, in the middle of each announcement. Oh, no. I thought, I was thinking, I don't know why I thought this, you know, 
um, I thought it was going to be like, okay, the press conference is on. They're going to announce my name immediately and a press conference. <laughs> my brain was just not – my brain was not functioning like and realizing that there are so many awards that they give out. So I thought, what am I doing? I could just drive home and, and watch this, you know? So um, I drove home, and I sat in front of the monitor, and I watched this hour-long press conference just staring and not saying a word and I wasn't going to believe it until they said my name and then when they showed my book I burst out into tears and sobbed and um I'm not a crier you know some people uh, cry at the drop of a hat I'm not much of a crier but I I audibly sobbed Hmm. and um I and then I was just a bundle of nerves. So I put on, uh, I was wearing work clothes. So I went and put on flannel pajamas. I, I don't know why. Because <laughs> everyone should always be wearing flannel pajamas. <laughs> yeah, why? There's never a bad time to wear flannel pajamas. Well, they're the most comforting clothes. <laughs> they are. They are. And then, and then I was cold. So I picked up like the scarf I was wearing to work and I put that on. And so I'm sitting there in flannel pajamas wearing this black, you know, infinity scarf, and, <laughs> and I just start pacing around the house, and about one second after the um, the announcement, my phone blew up. I mean, phone calls, uh, Twitter notifications, emails, it was insane, and I just start walking around, picking up clothes, putting them here, folding clothes, you know, and I told people I was cleaning my house, but I really wasn't <laughs> cleaning my house. I was really just moving things from one spot of the house to the other because I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I was just, it was just, it was such a state of shock. And still today, I'm, I'm, I'm still in the state of shock. My editor will send me an email now and then that just says, uh, you won the Newberry, you know, exclamation. <laughs> <laughs> like, in case you forgot. Um, so it's been really surreal. I think that was a very long answer to your question of my Newberry call, but no, it's great. Um, it's wonderful. That's what happened. It was inc- it was it was insane, and it still is. I still can't believe it. So you had um, you said that you had heard some rumblings. May I ask? Did you hear them from your editor or your publisher or just the internet? No, the my, my editor and publisher are, you know, careful not to get wrapped up in the rumblings because I think they don't, you know, they don't want to get you all your hopes up and then dash them. But um, it was, you know, it had five-starred reviews, which doesn't necessarily mean, you know, anything. But, I mean, it means something. But mm-hmm. as far as the Newberry goes, it doesn't, it's no guarantee. But it, it appeared on the heavy metal blog on the uh, School Library Journal. So there were some rumblings there. And it was in all these mock Newberry groups. And so that was kind of the extent of the rumblings. But um, I thought um, I didn't want to think too much. You know, it's like that, that it's like winning a Grammy. You know, you think, oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> but you're not, you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm, you know, definitely I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. So even though there were rumblings, you know, I try to operate my life with cautious optimism, just in general. You know, I'm hope for the best, prepare for the worst is kind of my life's motto. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, if I win, obviously that'll be fantastic. But if I don't, you know, 
fine. Someone else will win. It'll be great. They'll deserve it. Um, and, you know, it, it turns out I won. And I just, I still can't believe it. Um, yeah, that's it. How do you feel about being part of the first year of Newbery Awards going entirely to uh, people of color? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, when they were announcing um, all the awards, it was like, um, I can't even explain how I felt. Even even if I had not won and someone else had, had won that spot, just the books that were being honored, it was so incredible. And it, and it makes me so happy to think about all these kids who are going to see themselves in books, um, who have been underestimated for so long, you know, as an audience, you know, that they don't read or they don't buy books. Um, and now they're going to see themselves in these books. And not just them, but people outside of their community will be able to, you know, it's the whole windows and mirrors thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it'll, it'll be a mirror for all these, these kids, and it'll be a window for all all these other groups of kids and it's not and these are deserving books they're very deserving books that um it's just incredible i mean you know the society is changing um demographics are shifting and it needs to be reflected in all walks of life books film theater everything and and to see it start to happen um and to be part of that is it's just, you know, it's mind blowing. I mean, when they announce your book after Jason Reynolds, you're just like, is this real life? Is this really what? Um, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's an incredible honor, and, um, and I hope it means, and I think it will mean, even more books for marginalized groups, you know, heading to the forefront. Books that are well written, deserving, rich. Um, and expose people to all different kinds of, of culture because that's what our country is. So um, it's incredibly exciting. Um, you obviously are, are Filipina. Um, we were wondering, I mean, I know that obviously your other books focus a lot on that as well, but is it more a case of write what you know or sort of an intentional inclusion of a not very common group? Great question. It's a little bit of both. So um, with my first book, Blackbird Fly, I think a lot of writers, their early works are more autobiographical. And in that case, I was just writing about my own experience. And it didn't even really dawn on me that that people would be interested in that aspect of a Filipino-American in the Deep South. But, um, you know, it really resonated with people. And it was at a period of time, you know, for a long time, I was embarrassed of my um, background and I, I didn't want to recognize my my ethnicity and I just wanted to be like quote like everyone else and you know as I developed a sense of pride and, and reclaimed my cultural background and became proud of it I wanted to share it with others and so Blackbird Fly was kind of my way of um, correcting my my past shame and repression, I guess, by exploring that period of my life again and um, looking at it from a new perspective. And then with uh, The Land of Forgotten Girls and Hello Universe, it was it was intentional in the fact that the characters came to me that way as, as Filipinos and um, 
all my books always start with a character. They never start with a plot, and it just so happens that those characters were Filipino. And I wanted to, you know, show the world that, and young readers especially, that the Philippines is so rich with stories and folklore and layered um, myths. And almost like, unlike any other, you know, um, and so it was intentional, but it was also, I never want to do something intentionally that, that doesn't, with some kind of agenda that doesn't feel true to the story. So um, it was a little bit of both. You know, I wanted to tell the, an honest story and I didn't want to force something in there that didn't belong. So the characters came to me that way. And in my next book, it comes out April 10th, you go first, there are no Filipino, both of the main characters are white. That's how they, they came to me, and that's how the story unfolded. So I never want to force something unless it makes sense to me and the story. That's actually one of the things I really love about Hello Universe is it's not like a cultural issue book. It just informs the character and gives it texture. Um, I have Filipino friends myself, and, you know, it's just they're there. They're Filipino, and... <laughs> Honestly, the biggest difference it makes is that they know the best snacks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Filipino snacks yes. are fantastic. I don't know why. They are. They are. Cracker um, nuts alone. <laughs> I want to yes. try these cracker nuts so you've been good. holding out. <laughs> So I just want to hit on really quickly, like you talked about the the books being windows and mirrors, and then talking about um, your characters come to you and then you put them in their in the book. I first noticed this when I was in library school. You know, I had read I had read children's books when I was younger, and then I went back to them when I started to study to be a librarian, and I started noticing that there were so many like adventure stories that only have white protagonists and yes. you know all you know yes there could be like realistic fiction and there would be protagonists of color but most of the genre fiction is was were you know were white kids and um mm -hmm. that's something that I'm so so glad to see is changing and um I'm just I'm so glad that we're just seeing people you know, we're seeing people from different backgrounds, but they're not being made into issues. I just think it's so great and amazing. And, you know, my little white kid, I want her to know that everyone is worthy of an adventure, you know? Yes. So. And in fact, that's a good uh, way for me to tell you about. Um, so it sounds like I'm a workaholic because I am. But um, <laughs> next year, summer of next year, uh, my first fantasy will come out, and it's middle grade. Mm. And it's very much inspired by Filipino folklore. Wow. So, um, you know, the entire cast of characters are brown kids. Um, it's not, you know, a book about culture. It's just a book about a girl going on an adventure, and her culture happens to be, well, it's a fictional culture, but um, inspired by the Philippines and Filipino folktales and Filipino legends because, um, like you said, every every child is worthy of an adventure, whether mm -hmm. they are, whether it's their ethnicity, whether it's their ability level, whether it's their mm -hmm. orientation, whatever it is, um, 
we should all be able to go on adventures, right, mm-hmm. and see ourselves have, having adventures. Mm-hmm. So I think I agree it's incredibly important. Um, and I was curious because in your in Hello Universe, I was I was curious about this. Um, I loved that all the all the main characters were so complicated and kind of they had these rich internal lives. Um, and then you see them interacting and you see them kind of coming to an understanding of the other person's internal life. How did you get so in touch with kind of the kids' voice, the kids' voices? That's a good question. And, you know, it was easy It was easy with me for Virgil because Virgil's a lot like I was when I was a kid. I wasn't really shy, but I was very quiet, introspective. Um, overshadowed, overshadowed by my very um, extroverted, cheerful, perfect sister, um, and often felt out of place. So um, his character was pretty easy for me to connect to, and Kaori was was a lot of fun because well she's she's just a fun character, right? Now, so those two those two felt very organic to me. Uh, Valencia and Chet were much more challenging. And so with Valencia, I had to do a lot of research before I could even start her chapters. And one of the things that I struggled with is because she's deaf and because she doesn't have many friends, she doesn't interact a whole lot with her parents in the book. Um, Therefore, she doesn't interact uh, much with anyone, at least in the beginning. So... I decided to write her chapters in first person so that she can interact with the reader. And, um, but then I had the issue of the fact that I am not deaf or hard of hearing. And so for her voice, I really, it took a ton of research. You know, I took sign language classes. Mm-hmm. I talked, I talked to people at the American society for deaf children I connected with people at Gallaudet, the, you know, the Deaf University in Washington, D.C., um, and then I made great friends with this woman named Gina Oliva, and she's a deaf advocate, and she's written uh, many books about uh, deaf children in the mainstream, and so Valencia's modeled a lot after Gina's experience, you know, that she was she was born hearing, and her, her hearing deteriorated as she got older so she's able to speak clearly but she has to wear hearing aids as does Valencia and but with Valencia you know I I never wanted to write a deaf character I wanted to write a character who was deaf and so with her internal voice I had to figure out okay what is her what is her life going to be like um as a, a deaf girl a lot of that I got from Gina but then her personality, I thought, what what kind of personality is she going to have? And once I figured that out for her, that she's very willful and independent and, and can be stubborn, um, her voice, which are all things that I am, by the way, <laughs> uh, her, her voice came to me much um, more easily. Because, you know, I, we, writers infuse themselves in all their characters in some shape or form. Um Chet was incredibly challenging for obvious reasons because he's a bully and I didn't want to be overly sympathetic towards him um, because I had very strong feelings towards bullies. And and I didn't want to give him any necessarily 
excuses for, for being so cruel, but I did want to kind of figure out where is he getting these behaviors from? What is his life like? And once I figured out his, one thing I do with all characters before I write them is I figure out what their greatest fears are and what they want most out of life. And I feel like if you know those things, then you can know your characters from top to bottom. And once I figured that out for Chet, it was a little bit easier to get into his head. That's really good writing advice, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Doesn't it feel just perfect that you're headed back to essentially your home turf to accept the Newberry? Since it the, does. It feel, it's very serendipitous, you know, and I get half family coming in and they only have to drive a couple hours and it's, you know, New Orleans, which I've been to countless times. And so, yeah, it's incredible. It's just like the little cherry on top. <laughs> We're excited. <laughs> We're actually going to come uh, listen to you accept it. So, yay! <laughs> <laughs> We're in Atlanta, so it's, it's a doable drive for us. Nice. Awesome. Um, speaking of the speech, uh, how do you go about preparing for that? Are you excited or nervous? Um, I am super pumped. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, you know, I, I, because I'm a workhorse, I literally, I just started writing my speech almost right away. Uh, (laughs) I am... I am, no, I'm not nervous. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'll be nervous when I get there, but I love, um, I'm one of these people who, one of these weird people who don't mind public speaking. I love speaking. Um, and so, and the fact that, you know, it is what it is makes it even more incredible. I'm sure when I get up there, I'll be nervous at first and then, and then I'll be fine. But I am, I am just, um, no, right now I'm not nervous. I'm just super pumped up. I'm ready. That's wonderful. (laughs) We need folks like you because I would have to wear like, I don't know, I'd probably have to wear some kind of sweat collecting device if there is even a thing. Um, (laughs) I do. I only have one rule for myself and that is no drinking before the (laughs) I think someone has used a profanity in a Newberry speech before, so you wouldn't be the first if that's what... It would be in the offing, but <laughs> can you talk a little bit about creating Gulliver the guinea pig? We love him. <laughs> okay, so I had a guinea pig named Clover, who was black and white, and just like Gulliver, and she's very, very adorable. She's no longer with us, but she's very, very cute. And it was originally going to be a hedgehog, but I realized I didn't know anything about hedgehogs. Um, and so it became a guinea pig. And, and the reason why Gulliver came to be is because the book started with me having an image of a boy um, trapped in the bottom of a well. And I, and I asked myself, why would he be down there? Because he's very afraid of the dark. And I thought, what reason what reason would a boy like Virgil go into a dark climb down a dark well? And the only reason I could think of was to rescue something. And that's how Gulliver came to be. And, you know, I had a guinea pig at home, they're super cute. Um and I thought, okay, that's 
that's why he would go down there. If, if for some reason his best friend, the guinea pig, is trapped, that would be a reason why someone like Virgil would go, would go down the well. So that's how he came to be. Marcy was lucky enough. She has an advanced copy of You Go First. And so she has some questions for you about it. Actually, yeah, I'm in the awesome. book. I just read it today. Um, and I just wanted to know, um, that main character has such a Tracy Flick vibe to him. <laughs> was that any part of your inspiration? <laughs> have you have you seen the movie Election? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has such a Tracy Flick vibe to him. I wondered if he was part of, partly inspired by that movie. That is so funny. Um, I love that movie. No, um, actually, he came to me after I read a book called uh, Let Me Be Frank which is an adult book. And the, the boy character in there is is much quirkier than Ben, but I fell in love with this kid. And then I thought, um, and then, you know, Ben kind of came to me from that because um, in this book, Let Me Be Frank, I the kid's name is Frank, um, I just, I fell in love with him. And I thought, you know, that kind of inspired Ben, you know, he's, he's an inter- eternal optimist. Um, he, he's naive, but sweet. Um, and Ben is actually like, I'm smiling right now because Ben, Ben of all the characters that I've written, I, I have actually missed him the most. Um, because I absolutely loved hanging out with him. I mean, I know it sounds weird because I'm the one who wrote him, but, um, I just loved hanging out with Ben and, and, you know, things happen to Ben, which obviously we won't spoil, but, um, when bad things happen to Ben, I was like upset, even though I'm the one who's inflicting the pain, you know, <laughs> I'm like, Ben, no, as I'm typing, I'm like, no, Ben, oh God, you need a hug, Ben, <laughs> Now that you're yeah. a Newberry winning author, it's a, a like a lovable eccentricity. Yes. <laughs> All quirks are excused. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I also love that he's a Ravenclaw. I'm I'm personally a hardcore Hufflepuff, but um, I love it that he's obsessed with the, the Harry Potter books. Well, I was going to read it anyway, but I am a Ravenclaw, so I will definitely need to read Ben's Adventures. <laughs> he has very nice, nice room decor. <laughs> I have to tell you that I um, always thought I was a Ravenclaw, and I took very highly scientific quizzes online. <laughs> <laughs> they told me that I was a Ravenclaw. And then I went on Pottermore, and I took the quiz, and the sorting hat had a little trouble. Because, you know, sometimes the the sorting hat isn't quite sure. Um, It put me in Hufflepuff. And then I I did all these other quizzes, and 
according to one, I think it was in Time Magazine, so it's obviously official. <laughs> uh, not more official than Pottermore. Obviously, that's the most official one. But um, And it told me that I was 50% Ravenclaw and 50% Hufflepuff Ooh. and 0% the other two. So, And then all the other quizzes I took said Hufflepuff, which I'm totally fine with. So I, you know, when people ask, I tell them I am a Hufflepuff. But, you're, you know, if there, if there was no Hufflepuff, then I would have to be a Ravenclaw. You're actually, but apparently I'm zero of the other. You're actually a Ravenpuff. <laughs> I am. I am a Ravenpuff. No, she's not because the Sorting Hat takes your choice into consideration that she chose Hufflepuff. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> but people have started, people have started mashing, people started mashing them together. Yeah. Um, so I'm just like a tried and true Ravenclaw. Like there's not any wiggle room, but like some people are Slytherin puffs, which I don't get. I don't see how you could be a Hufflepuff Slytherin. No, but like a Ravendor yeah. and like a Griffin puff and people, people are you know, inventive. I feel like you need to be one. I feel like you need to be one of the four, you know what yeah. I mean? There's yeah. a reason why there are four. There's, you know, so I'm going to just be with the Hufflepuffs. I'm fine with yeah. that. They're kind. And that's, to me, that's the number one most important trait of any human being. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm, you know, I'm going with it. I'm that's going a, with Hufflepuff. That's a well, good there's, choice. there's four houses. There's four golden girls. There's four of everything that's important. So. <laughs> and my fourth book is coming out in April. Oh, exactly. Yes. you go first is very much the message for me that I wanted to send is that you're never alone, even when you think you are alone. And and the reason that's, that's kind of the thread of the book is that, you know, Charlotte lives outside of Philadelphia. Ben lives in a small town in Louisiana. So they're distanced by 1500 miles. Um, but they play each other um, on online Scrabble. And even though they've never met, and they're only connected through this app initially. Eventually, they start texting and talking on the phone. But their lives are, are taking very interesting parallels. So Charlotte's father has had a heart attack, and he's in the hospital, so her family is in a bit of a crisis. And Ben's parents are getting a divorce, so his family is in crisis. And they're both highly gifted. They're both kind of social outcasts. They both sit alone at lunch. So their lives are parallel in a lot of ways, even though they don't realize it yet, and then they converge, you know, unexpectedly. So, you know, the message for me is that even when you feel that you're you're loneliest, which I think we've all been there, every human being, um, and it feels like you're the only person in the world experiencing uh, the pain you're experiencing, there's someone out there um, who is in kinship with you, even though you don't know it, and you may not know them. But, you know, just having that knowledge that we're all connected and someone else is hurting too um, and that you're not alone, I think, is incredibly important, um, especially for young people, because I think they feel alone pretty often. Well, and I think a lot of times kids are asked to bear some some pretty big things. And yes. anytime we can give them information um, and how to do that, I think, is just so important. And and yes. you go first. It paints such a realistic portrait of what it's like to be that age and, like, the little heartbreaks in addition to the big things. 
Like it was mm-hmm. felt it felt so familiar. Like that whole middle school trauma of all the drama. It just felt so real. <laughs> Thank you. Although I have to say my very favorite moment of anything I've read of yours is just that hello at the end of Hello Universe just made my heart happy. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, yes. That's good. I'm glad. Um, I, I got an email. It's funny. I got an email this morning from a young reader who told me that he was glad I won and that he thought that I deserved it. <laughs> and then he said that um, he said, I don't understand the hello at the end. And then he goes on to say, oh, wait, now I get it. I think that Virgil had Lola's phone. You know, he figured it out as he was emailing oh. it to me. <laughs> oh. He said, oh, that's it. Um, that's and so then he's like, great ending. Let's <laughs> <laughs> As he's emailing, he's like, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was really cute. That's adorable. every episode we tend to have a cocktail that goes along with the book so whenever we talk to an author we generally ask them if they have a favorite adult beverage i absolutely do have a favorite adult beverage i am a whiskey drinker and i like jameson on ice i am also a vodka drinker so i like the stoli um neat excellent choices Actually, I think everyone we've spoken with enjoys whiskey. <laughs> I, I don't tend. I don't tend to mix anything with anything. I don't like mixing my my. I just drink the liquor. <laughs> We're learning that Kid Lit is very into whiskey. Yeah, almost all the authors are, are like big whiskey drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> So as long as we're on the topic of favorites, um, do you have a favorite Newbery book yourself? I do. I actually have two. It's kind of a tie. Um, One of them is The One and Only Ivan, of course. So good. And the other one would be When You Reach Me by Rebecca Steen. Those are probably my two favorites. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic books. Uh, Both of them, um, you know, obviously they're very different books, but... One thing that they both have in common that I really appreciate is that there is not a wasted word in either of those. Yeah. Every single word uh, matters and belongs there, and it's just amazing. Well, if you come through Atlanta, let us know. We'd, we'd love to treat you to some whiskey. <laughs> awesome! I never pass that up. Be sure to say hi at some point during the chaos of uh, ALA. Sure. We will. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for joining awesome. us today. We've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. Thank you. Me too. We spoke today with Aaron and Trada Kelly and all of the books that were mentioned and all of the references that we made uh, will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.